So we're going to read uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 5 to verse 24. In the time of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah, who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. Once when Zachariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time came for the burning of the incense, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. Then, the, then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well on in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel and I stand in the presence of God. And I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife, Elizabeth, became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown favor and has taken away my disgrace among the people. Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. And that day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. Or else 
I will come and strike the land with total destruction. Those are the very last words of the Old Testament. Nick read them, some of them for us earlier. And they tell us that a day is coming that will be dreadful. A day when God's people will be totally destroyed. Not a branch, not a stump, not even a root will be left to them. A day of judgment. But, said God, and this is how the Old Testament ended, but before that comes, someone else will come. Someone who will turn hearts. God made a promise. And so God's people waited. When will this day come? They waited. They waited some more. Has God forgotten? Did we miss it? Maybe we've got this all wrong. 400 years they waited. Nothing. God was silent. Many gave up waiting. They just got on with their lives. God's forgotten us. Maybe God doesn't even care. But not everyone gave up. For now, 400 years later, as the book of Luke starts, we're introduced to Zechariah. The name Zechariah means Yahweh. That is God's special name. Yahweh has remembered again. Go back a slide. Can I have the clicker, actually? Sorry, I forgot to get it before. Um, But just go back to the first slide still. Uh, Yahweh has remembered again. That's what Zechariah means. Um, Luke doesn't make anything of this, but it seems a wonderful clue of what is about to happen. Thank you. Uh, And so that is what I've titled this sermon. God has remembered again. Uh, We're introduced to Zechariah, and we're told that he's a priest. Um, The priests were split into 24 divisions, and Zechariah was in Abijah's division. Zechariah was married, his wife was called Elizabeth, and she also came from a family of priests in the line of Aaron. This is a special couple. That didn't always happen. So 400 years have passed... But the temple is still going. The priests are still operating as they were meant to, according to the Old Testament. And not only that, but this couple we're introduced to are righteous in the sight of God, we're told. They observe all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. It is quite a statement, isn't it? Now, this doesn't mean they were perfect, But as far as external obedience went, they did it all. They faithfully and consistently obeyed God. Well, then God must have shown his favor to them, um, surely. Except we're then told in verse 7, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. All was not well. Um, Barrenness was often seen as God's judgment, a reproach from God. But here we see that that is not the case. 
here is this faithful couple, and yet it appears as though God's not being faithful to them. Their infertility would have caused great shame for them publicly, and it would have brought this constant and very real sadness within them. A sadness that has been there for many years, and yet never goes away. A longing that has never been met. A loss without having anyone to mourn over. Some of you this morning will have that sadness. That same burden deep within your hearts. Maybe it's been there for many years. Maybe it's new. Keep bringing it to God. Whether you still hold out hope or whether that hope died a long time ago, keep bringing it to God. He will not abandon you in it. And make sure that you have someone to talk about, uh, to, to talk to about it. Uh, we can support each other. Well, we've been introduced to Zechariah and Elizabeth, uh, and then we're told that Zechariah's uh, division was on duty. Uh, the 24 divisions were on a rota. Um, each serving at the temple for one week before uh, rotating around. Um, So Zechariah is away from home at the temple, serving as a priest. And we're told that, verse 9, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Uh, There were a limited number of special roles, um, but with about 18,000 priests at the time, uh, not all of those priests would have got to do uh, these special jobs. Uh, So they they chose a priest by lot uh, to carry out uh, these duties. Uh, This job was a fairly simple one, having to go into the holy place, uh, not the the, the most holy place, um, but just before there, Uh, the priest would go into the holy place to light uh, uh, some incense and say a prayer. It didn't take long. However, it was still a huge honor uh, to be chosen, and one that happened during the evening of worship, uh, which meant there would have been a large large crowd watching him go in uh, and then uh, come back out again. He was going in on their behalf. And so Zechariah went in, and the worshippers watched outside. The scene has been set, but it's been set in a way that even if we didn't know what is going to happen, uh, you can sense that something will happen. Uh, We're expecting God to do great things uh, for this faithful uh, couple. We've got some of the background, we've set the scene, and now we'll get into what does happen. We're going to be focusing on verses 11 to 17 today, and we'll do so under three headings. God remembers his people, God renews his promise, and God's people rejoice. So firstly, God remembers his people. God remembers his people. Zechariah goes in, and then verse 11 Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. Suddenly, an angel appears. At the right side is the side of favor, but that's not enough to stop Zechariah from freaking out. Not only is there the shock that in a place where he thought he would be alone, he's suddenly confronted by another being, but this is more than that. 
He doesn't just jump, um, he's gripped with fear, we're told. And this is a reminder that angels are terrifying. Um, over the next month, you'll be seeing lots of um, images of angels. You may have seen our knitted ones uh, in, the, uh, in the, the foyer area. Um, that is not what an angel looks like. <laughs> Um, If we put up in our window what they really looked like, um, then we would be inundated with complaints. Um, Nobody would come in. Um, But just as will happen with Mary, um, Gabriel, for we find out in verse 19 that this is the very same Gabriel, um, Gabriel seeks to reassure him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Gabriel is not here to judge Zechariah has no reason to fear. So why is he here? But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. His prayer has been heard. God sent Gabriel because he was answering his prayer. And so this is the point at which we need to ask, What prayer? Uh, What prayer has been heard? Um, Was it the prayer for a child? After all these years, had he still been praying for a child? Was it a prayer for Israel? Um, as, um, As priest, he was there in the holy place on behalf of the people to pray for their redemption. Well, regardless of whether a specific prayer is being referred to here, uh, both are answered. We'll come back to that later, um, but first let's delight in this. It's been 400 years since they last heard from God. Uh, He's been silent for so long. Uh, Many had given up waiting. Uh, They didn't deserve uh, to be remembered. Not collectively as God's people uh, and not even individually. Zechariah and Elizabeth were good people, but even they didn't really deserve for God to answer them. And yet he does. God has heard Zechariah's prayer. That time of silence has come to an end. The first answer comes by giving Elizabeth and Zechariah a son. Their shame will be taken away, and instead it will be replaced with joy. He will be a joy and delight to you, Gabriel says. What a wonderful reminder this is that God hears prayers. Whatever the ache of your heart is, whatever is causing an unending sadness, you can keep bringing it to God and he will hear you. I'm not saying he will give you the desires of your heart. He may have other plans for you. But he won't forget you. He will still fulfill his promises to you. You can cling on to them, knowing that he will never leave you or forsake you. But he will walk with you through every heartache, through every pain. And one day, he will take it all away. He will wipe away your tears, and your heart will never ache again. God remembers his people. Secondly, God renews his promise. 
God renews his promise. And we see this because while remembering Zechariah and Elizabeth, he also remembers his people. In one go, God would deal with something absent from Zechariah's personal life, while also answering his prayers for the nation of Israel. God would give them a son, but this son would not just be for them. We're told he will be great in the sight of the Lord. In God's eyes, he will be great. And this qualifies his greatness here. It is not an absolute greatness. And when Gabriel would go to Mary later on, he would say to her that her son would be great. But then he wouldn't qualify it. And Jesus would be great in an absolute sense. And John isn't great like that. He's not comparable to Jesus here. But he would be great in God's sight. This still shows there is something incredibly important and special about him. God has a job for him. The fact that God names him shows this as well. Normally it was the father that named the son, but Zechariah doesn't get to. He doesn't get a say in the matter. God tells him, you are to call him John. God has a special plan for him. And we see that even more by the type of life he's to lead. Um, He's to live a disciplined life. Um, He's to be set apart as special. So special that he must keep his body clean, not allowing it to be defiled. And then as if we still weren't sure how special he would be, we're told that he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. Even before he was born, he would be filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, There is nobody else that that is said of. Um, No one else is filled with the Holy Spirit before they're born. Uh, God clearly has a special job for him. But what is that job? We're then told, verse 16... He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Uh, Firstly, he will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. God is going to use this child to turn people back to him. Not all, but many. He will go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. The Lord here seems to be referring to God and not to Jesus, as Jesus hasn't yet been mentioned in Luke. And so it seems to be saying that he'll be working for God, going on God's behalf, just like Elijah carrying out his plans, calling people to repent. And then it says he will turn the hearts of the, of, of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. And does that ring a bell? Does that sound familiar? The promise that was made at the end of the Old Testament is coming. God is renewing his promise. He hasn't forgotten it. He's carrying it out. It might have been 400 years, 
that many of God's people might have given up waiting. But God has not forgotten. What he said would happen is about to happen. And John will be involved in it. What does it mean, though, when it says that he'll turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous? Well, I think it's saying that he'll restore relationships. Um, The hearts of parents will be turned to their children. Um, Through John's message, relationships that have been broken will be restored. That's talking about horizontal relationships, relationships with other people. But also, our vertical relationship will be restored. The hearts of the disobedient will be turned to the wisdom of the righteous. John's preaching will bring people from being disobedient in a broken relationship with God to righteousness, having a restored relationship with God. And through all of this, He'll be preparing a people for God. John's job is to call out of Israel a people who are ready to follow God's way of salvation. He would not be making all of Israel ready, but he'll be calling out a people, a remnant. That day of judgment that Malachi spoke of will still come because not all will return. Not all will turn to God. But God had always promised that a stump would remain. Israel would be cut down, but a stump would remain. And from that stump, a shoot would come that would bring life once again. Isaiah 10 says, a remnant will return. A remnant of Jacob will return to the mighty God. And then the next chapter talks of the stump that was left when the tree that was Israel was cut down. And it says this, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. There was hope. For most of God's people, it was too late. They wouldn't return to him. But a remnant, a small part, would return. And the way back would be made possible through a shoot that would come up in the stump and would bear fruit. Hope was held out. John is not that shoot. But he is preparing people, saying, you can be part of that remnant. It is still possible to return to God. A shoot is coming. That promise is being renewed. God is sending John to call Israel to get ready for his work. So get ready for it. Turn your hearts back to him, he says. Get ready to follow God's way of salvation. That was John's message. That's what John was to do. To call out of Israel a people who are ready to follow God's way of salvation. And that salvation would come by turning back. That is John's job. 
to say, turn back to God. You've wandered away, but it's not too late to turn back to him. So turn back while you still can. We see here that God has not forgotten his promise, but he is sending John to renew that promise, to turn people back to him. Which is an appropriate point in which to ask, have you turned back to God? God has made a way to him possible. You cannot get to him by being righteous. Um, If that was possible, then Zechariah and Elizabeth had made it. They were good in themselves. They wouldn't have needed uh, to give birth to John. But that wasn't enough. And neither is John, because we can't get to God through John either. Um, He was a sinner too. But we can listen to his message. His message that said, someone greater than I is coming. Jesus, the one who can return you to God. He is the one who can restore you into a wonderful relationship with God so that you can know him, so that you can be loved by him. If you don't have that, then won't you turn back to God? He promised he would make a way to him. He has kept that promise. And anyone can come to him. You can come through the one that John pointed to, through Jesus. Talk to me or someone else afterwards if you want to know more about how you can do that this Christmas. God renews his promise. Finally, God's people rejoice. God's people rejoice. And what are we told will be the result of God's renew, God renewing his promise? Rejoicing. And have a look at verse 13. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. Um, you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth. John will be a joy and delight to Zechariah and Elizabeth. And that bit's obvious, isn't it? Their shame has been taken away. The longing of their hearts has been met. That will obviously bring joy for them. However, it says, it also says that many will rejoice. It says they will rejoice because of his birth. Um, However, this could also be translated as wider than just his birth. It could be translated more as um, they will rejoice at his being, at his existence, at his life. It's not just his birth that brought joy, but it's what he did in life that brought joy. Uh, Joy even now, even today. As he proclaimed this message of salvation, as he declared that God has not forgotten, God has remembered again, he's renewed his promise. And that's ultimately what brought joy. A joy that would have far outweighed the joy of his birth. And let's be honest, joy at a birth doesn't last, does it? It is a wonderful and true joy, especially to a couple that thought they'd never have a baby. But even that joy won't last. 
they soon become a lot of work. Um, Nick and Lydia, just cover your ears at this point. Um, sleeplessness sets in. Uh, they learn the word no. Uh, they discover how to push boundaries. Um, they grow up and people stop commenting on how cute they are. The birth of a baby is a wonderful joy for the parents and for those around. But it doesn't last. Um, not really. Uh, however, John's life brought a joy that can last. He brought a message of God's promise being renewed, of relationships being restored, of a people being redeemed. It's a message that brings a wonderful joy. God has not forgotten. He has remembered again. Or won't you find the joy in that message again at this Advent? Maybe that message has become old to you. Maybe just like with a baby, you have lost its joy. It is so easy to happen. Life is hard. Life is busy. Life is full of distractions. But remember this. Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. And that day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. That should be us. It should be me and it should be you. I am the arrogant, I am the evildoer, and that day should set me on fire. But, but if you have turned back to the Lord your God, if you are ready for the Lord because you are not trusting in yourself, but you're trusting in Jesus, the one that John pointed towards, then that day will not set you on fire. It should, but it won't. Instead, do you know how God sees you? He sees you as righteous in his sight. Observing all of his commands and decrees blamelessly. That's how God sees you, Christian. As righteous, as blameless. He sees you like that today, and he will see you like that on that final day. You can know that for sure. Brothers and sisters, you are righteous in God's sight. Wonder at that truth. Marvel at it and rejoice over it. When I read the last verses of Malachi at the beginning, I missed out a couple of verses. One of them says this. But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays. And you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. What a wonderful phrase. For all here who revere God's name, who trust in his plan of salvation, that plan that John prepared people for, 
salvation that can only come through Jesus, you have been healed. The Son of Righteousness has risen, and he has healing in his rays. So now, go out and frolic like well-fed calves. It's probably the only time I'll get away with calling anyone a well-fed calf, but I'm one as well. So jump for joy like calves do, knowing that you have been healed. Each day this Advent, remember that God has renewed his promise. He has restored you. Remember who you are in his sight. And keep turning to him, trusting in his way of salvation. And be filled with joy.